The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. This episode is brought to you in collaboration with The Woman Cards. The Woman Cards is a small family business created and run by a brother-sister duo. They sell feminist playing cards celebrating diverse women from all walks of life who changed the world, even though the deck was stacked against them. They're currently offering three decks, the Woman Card Classic featuring American women, Girl Power featuring young women, and Tech Deck featuring pioneering women in STEM. Each deck features 15 hand-illustrated portraits of the women spotlighted in the deck, and all of their products are proudly made in the United States. You can order online at thewomancards.com and use code DEALMEIN23 for 10% off your order. That's thewomancards.com, and promo code is DEALMEIN23 for 10% off. Greetings, friends. I'm Barakita Guerrera, and I am here with the incredible Steph Oteri. And we are going to talk about a book that we both just read in like 24 hours. It was one of the first books this year that I've just like totally, totally devoured as quickly as I could. It is called The Nursery by Sylvia Molnar. This book deals with the postpartum period of our main character who sort of remains unnamed throughout the book and her newborn baby that she calls Button, though we don't ever really hear the baby's name as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Steph. Of course. You know, this book was a a very quick journey, but it was a journey. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's marketed, I think, as a horror book is how I sort of saw it portrayed. It's kind of like they talk about the darkness in it. And it's almost sort of like it it seems to me like it's they're trying to like push it. It's kind of like a a dark horror sort of situation. But my when I read it, it was probably a, truly, honestly, the closest to a realistic portrayal of my own postpartum period that I've ever, ever read in a book. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting that they that they are marketing it as horror because, yeah, when I was reading it, I was thinking that it had night bitch vibes, except instead of that teetering on the edge of lunacy that happened in Night Bitch, where you don't know what is real and what is... Yeah, the the nursery just feels so painfully real. I mean, so horrifically real. So in that way, it's... I mean, it's real life horror, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the the messaging we get about uh, about newborns and babies is like soft and pastel and like, aren't mm. their little feet so cute? And, you know, it's, you know, how exciting and congratulations and... And really, when you're in it, or I can't, I guess, speak for anybody else, but for me, when I was in it, it was a really disorienting. It mm. was just kind of like a, the narrator struggles with this situation where she like loves and cannot be away from her child and also really resents her child for sort of taking away her easy simplicity in her life and like has these intrusive thoughts about harming her child. 
And I didn't have, I didn't have intrusive thoughts about harming my baby. Mm-hmm. I know it's common, but I, my intrusive thoughts were that I was going to do something inadvertently that would harm her. And cr- it did like create that sort of like space in my life where it wasn't like, oh, yay, I've got this new life and this like child that I've always wanted is like part of my life. And, and I'm so excited to be a mother. It was just like terror, 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 24 hours a day. No, absolutely. Because yes, their their little footies are so adorable. And I did, I did, I wanted to like hug her to me all, all the damn time. But at the same time, yeah, I was always afraid that something that I was going to do was going to cause her demise or like because I wasn't on top of it enough, something would happen to her. And I remember at night I would be lying in bed and the baby monitor would be there and I'd be staring at it because it'd be right on the windowsill. And like if if she made noise, I'd be like, oh no, what's wrong? But then if she didn't make noise, I'd be like, is she alive? Yeah. And eventually I'd have to go into her room and I'd put my hand on her her cute little back and I'd wait until I could be very clear that she was still breathing. And that was something that happened. It was like that for months for me, me being afraid that oh, suddenly for some obscure reason, she she's not with me. Yeah. Yeah. I My daughter is 20 months old right now. And I still like that last night she slept really poorly and I was panicked that it's because she's really sick you know and there are a million reasons why she might not be sleeping well but if she was like sleeping super super soundly and not moving I also would be panicked that Mm -hmm. something was wrong with her and I I was as like a little self-disclosure I was diagnosed with postpartum anxiety that was severe enough that it turned into postpartum OCD Mm. and and so this sort of constant running intrusive thoughts about her being hurt or endangered or even just like a common cold is enough to like send me into kind of a spiral and Mm -hmm. I have had to like learn how to manage that and I saw a lot of that in our narrator here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know I think there was a New York Times article or not New York Times I apologize a New Yorker article recently titled I think it was what we what we still don't know about postpartum psychosis right and and it sort of delves into and unpacks a lot of the experiences that a lot of birthing parents have and that our narrator had and that I certainly had about these intrusive thoughts and these images these like gruesome images that pop mm-hmm. up in your head I thought it was a fantastic read as well as a as a companion to this mm-hmm it's interesting for me, I've long been diagnosed with, you know, chronic depression and, and chronic anxiety. So when I was pregnant, I was sort of like, well, will I have postpartum? Because at that point, I had been sort of managing it well at that point in my life, the depression and the anxiety. And so when my daughter was born and I was experiencing all of this anxiety. It's interesting because on the one hand, I expected it. But on the other hand, I didn't know what a normal level of anxiety was. And I've written about the anxiety I experienced during that time many times. And I remember I brought one piece to my writing group. And one woman in my group was like, this is a little, this level of anxiety you're experiencing seems like a little bit too much. And I'm like, really? I just assumed that 
all mothers were experiencing the same thing I was experiencing. Yeah, yeah. There's not really, there's not a lot of real honest discussion about it, especially about the sort of manifestations of that anxiety because people are afraid to speak out, especially people of color are afraid to speak out because they're afraid that it will get DHS involved or that they'll lose their children Mm. if they talk about what they're feeling and the images that are going through their head or the anxieties that they have. And they have real legitimate reason to fear that because it has happened for people. Right. And I, that just made me think that there's a book coming, I don't know if it's out yet, by Roxana Asgarian, We Were Once a Family, mm-hmm. a story of love, death, and child removal in America that, that goes very deeply into that and is such a fantastic read. So I just want to throw that in there <laughs> out of nowhere. No, absolutely. Absolutely. What, what resonated most with you about the nursery? So the big thing for me, like I could feel it throughout the book, but closer to the end of the book, there was this line that hit me so hard. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I connected with so many things in this book. But later in the book, the, the protagonist says, I am a prisoner of my own making. After all, I made Button and I wanted her and now I can't get out. And I was like, holy crap, myself wanted so badly for so many years to be a mom. And for a number of years, my husband and I tried and it just wasn't happening. And finally, we went through several rounds of fertility treatments and it just wasn't happening. And every time I got my period or every time I received a birth announcement in the mail, it it physically hurt. So then I finally had my baby and I loved her so flippin' much, but also I was so depressed and overwhelmed and it felt like I wasn't allowed to talk about it because I'd wanted her for so long. And if I said anything, then it would mean that I was ungrateful that I had finally gotten what I'd wanted so badly. Yeah, yeah. I have always wanted to be a mother. I've always known that about myself. I think that's like one of the most unshakable truths I knew about myself. And before I had my daughter, I I wasn't concerned at all about my ability to be a good parent, my ability Mm -hmm. to try to like negate intergenerational trauma and to raise a child that could be mindful and empathetic and loving. And I was just so certain of it that when I had her and was absolutely completely fucking blindsided Mm. by the exhaustion and the fear and the depression, I, I was just shaken to my core. And I do remember thinking she was maybe a week old. I think I had just recovered from food poisoning. And I thought this was a mistake. This was the biggest Mm -hmm. fucking mistake. And the narrator says that too, at one point in time, like, this is the biggest, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, how do I go back to the time before I had this child and undo this? And I felt that too. And I felt so awful about that because I had had this image. I used to cry when I was pregnant with her, thinking of what it was going to feel like to see her face for the first Mm -hmm. time. And that's not what happened. You know, and then meanwhile, people are bombarding you like, oh, when, when are you going to have the second one? And I'm like, yeah, I can barely handle what's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it uh, was intense. It was intense because I, I felt like the narrator did like this deep drive to protect her and I didn't want her away from me at all, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't a lot. I expected to be a wash with that, like immediate, the deepest love you've ever felt in your life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't what happened for me. 
Right. No, I could still remember clearly that, you know, she was basically attached to me all day long and I'd be carrying her around and I'd be dancing with her and showing her herself in the mirror. But at the same time, I would be sobbing as I was doing this and thinking, my God, is she going to remember what a what a fracking mess I was as I was trying to, to parent her and make her happy and, and, you know, give her some measure of joy. Like, like how, how is this going to screw her up? Yeah. Let me bring some more mommy guilt into it. Yeah. I, I'm, I was really lucky because I also have been diagnosed. This is not why I'm lucky. I was also diagnosed with a lot of depression and anxiety from a young age. And mm-hmm. I, so I was also prepared as I was going through my pregnancy and like created a care team around myself mm-hmm. with a psychiatrist, a therapist. My OB was really clear about my past diagnoses and ways to move forward. I was connected to a maternal mental health group in town. They did like texting, you know, they call it like a a warm line instead of a hotline. And I picked out a pediatrician that had a lot of experience with mental health and with children's mental health stuff because I wanted to create something around my daughter in case she also started to show symptoms of mental health issues as she got older. So I like, I did all the things you were supposed to do, but I still, I still was a complete fucking mess. And there still wasn't a lot of help for me either, Mm -hmm. you know? But I talked to my therapist about this, about like, you know, she's going to see me be a mess and I'm trying really hard to just compartmentalize that and just be present with her when I'm with her and like give myself time to fall apart when I'm not. And my therapist was like, why don't you fall apart in front of her and show her what Mm -hmm. that's like and explain to her what's happening, even though she's too young to understand so that she understands when she has big feelings that they're safe to also express. Mm. And I was like, damn, that's so wise. Yeah. I mean, I was crying in front of my child all the time, but then I wasn't, I was sort of pushing it all down whenever I was with anyone else. I was alone for so much of the day because I work from home. And, you know, my at the time, my husband was working in the city, so he'd get home so late. It'd just be like, I can't do all of this alone, but I couldn't. It's like, so I couldn't, lonely. Yeah, I couldn't. Again, I felt like I couldn't talk about it because I'm exactly where I said I wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was maybe the loneliest time of my life, mm. the most isolating and lonely time. And part of that is just the nature of having a newborn. You know, as a, as a birthing parent, you are really the primary parent for the first few months, at least mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And nobody can alleviate that burden mm-hmm. because the child needs something that you are able to provide, especially, you know, if you are able to body feed or or chest feed or breastfeed, however you want to phrase it. It, People can pump, but that child is still really connected to you. That need is relentless. It's relentless. Yeah, it is absolutely. When people ask me what parenting is like, that is usually what I say. It's relentless. It's, It's relentless. It doesn't stop. There's not a break. No, it doesn't stop. My daughter is eight now and I'm I'm still like, parenting is relentless. Yeah. Not to you know, be like, it never gets better. It gets, I mean, oh, no, there are beautiful, incredible pieces to it for right. sure, for sure. But that's the, the dissonance really. And the way, the reason I think that having an, a newborn and being a new parent is so hard is because mm-hmm. of the way we talk about having babies and the mm-hmm. way we talk about the fulfillment of having a child and the expectation mm-hmm. of having a child instead of listen, you're going to have an existential crisis, you know? It's just going to, it's going to happen and it's normal and it's okay. 
you know. I mean, this is the path we're all supposed to be on, right? It's the natural. The natural, yeah. <laughs> you know, the natural endpoint is what, yeah. I, what I was looking for. The natural endpoint. Yeah, all all of us in big in big scare quotes, just so we're really clear, because it's an <laughs> audio medium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and so, why shouldn't we be grateful? Why shouldn't we be happy? Why shouldn't we feel be completely fulfilled, fulfilled by what's by this and nothing else? Yeah, we don't need anything else. Yeah, and our narrator really wanted to have this child. She and her mm-hmm. husband were really trying to have this child, and mm-hmm. and so you know, I saw a lot of myself mirrored in this, and it felt so validating to. Mm-hmm to read this and and the way that the book is set up it's not linear timeline mm-hmm. she like flashes between before she got pregnant to like throughout the pregnancy to the immediate labor and birth and then the mm-hmm. months after that but it's all chopped up and put together so that you are kind of like as the reader you're constantly like struggling to understand where you are mm-hmm. um, like she makes it very vague at the beginning of each chapter because yeah. it's very disorienting which is sort of what being a new mother is, is yeah. like it's so yeah. just it's like a constant it's you're living in a fever dream yes I wrote that down it's like a fever dream and you do like keep flashing back to the time before you had a child you know mm-hmm. or like the time you were pregnant and all the expectations you had and all the feelings mm-hmm. that you had and like comparing that to like this grueling experience of providing every single need that a helpless human mm-hmm. being has every time they have it and mm-hmm. it, yeah, but the there is at the end, there's a sort of a coming back to herself. She slowly starts to feel herself again. She slowly starts mm-hmm. to recognize herself again. And there is that too. Right. And they give it to us right at the end. So we're like, oh yeah. my God, you don't know if it's ever going to, the way that it's, at the pacing of the book, you don't know if it's ever going to get to that point because yeah. for so long, the narrator uses such dehumanizing language for, for both herself and her child. And she says, you know, I'm here with Button and this is all I am. And you don't know if that's just going to be all she is for the rest of the book. And there is going to be no hope at the end. But then there's that little glimmer of it. Yeah. And, I'm, and you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And that felt really authentic, too, because I think yes. when you are a new parent, if it's, you know, especially if you don't have a, a lot of support around you and she didn't have a lot of support around her, mm-hmm. you don't know how long this is going to last. Mm-hmm. Is this just going to be the mistake you have to live with forever? Mm-hmm. You know, but then, yeah, you slowly start to climb out of that fog. You slowly start to like reimagine your life and reorient your life. and. You feel the sun on your face again, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't feel like fraught. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're able to start claiming those other pieces of yourself again that that existed before your child, because that's not all you are. And even though to an extent, even as your child's getting older, you know, it feels like no matter how hard you try, people see you as, you know, being primarily that identity of mother. Like you start to get better at being like, no, I'm also this and that and that other thing. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to make sure that I have room for those things. And so she starts to get back to that place where she could see the other pieces of herself. Yeah. I, there was a moment that I thought was so beautiful where she is, she's dealing with a milk letdown and her breasts hurt really bad. And, and that truly hurt. It hurts so bad. And she starts to worry that she has cancer. 
and that she's going to die because she still has this anxiety about everything, right? But Mm -hmm. she says, I think about dying and how I would prefer not to die. The stakes are suddenly much higher with you in the picture. I want you and I want to be alive loving you. This is Mm. this gesture I can give you, I think is what it said. And that is, that felt, I mean, that just rung straight through to me. And I felt that Mm. and I felt that desire every time, you know, I would have anxiety that someone was going to like knock me out while I was walking Adela, <laughs> my daughter, and like take her or something like that or hurt me. And it, and she wasn't right. going to ever remember me because she's so young. And I that that strong desire to just like be alive, to keep loving her, to like mm-hmm. keep being present for her. It, no, absolutely. That's interesting because, you know, I've never really feared death before, but not at all. But then, and then Emily came along, and the only thing that makes me fear death is knowing that if I died, that I wouldn't be there for her, and like I wouldn't be able to see how she grew up, and she wouldn't be able to have me there as the support system. And why do we think? Why do we think about these things? I don't know why. I don't know why I think about these things, but that's what I think of. Yeah. No. The same. Same. I felt very like comfortable with my own mortality. I used to say like, well, I've had a good run. If it happens, it happens, you know, but it's different now. It's different now. And, and, and I want so badly to just have a long, healthy life so that Mm -hmm. I can be there with my daughter Mm -hmm. and be there for my daughter. Amen. Uh, I want to give this book to so many folks. I say that often, but I really do because I feel like there's no better way to know what it's like to Mm -hmm. go into that confusing dark place i mean all these hormones are just flushing out of your body all of a sudden mm-hmm. you know like it's gonna it's just a it's a, just a natural thing that happens to a lot of people because of that system of just like right and i wish there was more realism around that i wish there were more conversations around that because how is anyone supposed to feel less alone in their experiences if they have no idea yeah like if we have if we if we present if, as a culture we present them with all these other pictures of what new motherhood is that then they'll then they'll just feel alone yeah or like they're doing something wrong or like they're not Mm -hmm. good enough right you know and there's there's true body horror in this book too but that's also giving birth you know but yeah i think we do people a disservice when we're not honest about the hard things as well absolutely and and this book is is fantastic i want i want Mm -hmm. to give it to to everybody, I think people should should read it so that they have empathy. <laughs> yeah. So they know to check in on their new parent friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So they know to ask how they're doing and not exactly. just how the baby's doing. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Steph. Where can folks find you online if they're looking for you? I am at stephalteri.com and I'm also at Steph Alteri on Instagram. I'm Mariki Guerrera, and I am on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Thanks for joining us, friends. Until next time, be well. Nail Partners, Inc. is a Black-owned commercial real estate, urban planning, and community engagement firm based in St. Paul, Minnesota. We believe in developing generative results in the community while addressing the pressing challenges facing urban-built environments. Our work and belief system is rooted in applied empathy and putting people first. Our approach delivers thoughtful, human-centered solutions for clients and cultivates sustainable relationships. We make a conscious effort to hire local residents as community liaisons, staff, and consultants to support engagement in local communities. 
we hire local talent as interns and have developed an artist-in-residence program in order to build up young and upcoming professionals within our community. We are currently hiring for our summer intern program. We provide real estate development and business technical assistance to small business owners, entrepreneurs, and companies that share our values. So if you're a business owner looking to do things the right way the first time, it's time to do things the NAO way. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, red woman is a dangerous creature, creature, oh. Creature, creature.